I've got a quick question for you before we get started today. Were there any outstanding presentations at the last Master Brewers District meeting you attended? I bet there were. Well, we'd like to share those stories with listeners, but we need your help. Unless they attended that same district meeting, Master Brewers members, including me, will never know about these outstanding presentations unless they get uploaded to the Master Brewers District Presentations Archive. So next time you sit in on a really great presentation, ask your district officers if you can help them get the presentations uploaded. It's super easy. There's even a short how-to video link at the top of the archive. And if there's a presentation that you think we should highlight here on the show, shoot me a quick message. You can find me at community.mbaa.com. This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Let's go! 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 Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand-new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. And I thought, well, okay, so if we're doing it with oxygen, why can't we do it with microcultures? Honestly, any brewery could kind of implement this into their quality program. They could easily just um, take some organism, kind of get an approximate cell count, inject their beer, let it sit, and, um, you know, once it reaches their shelf life, open up and test it, or even just do sensory on it. This week on the show, Kim Searing from Surly Brewing joins us in Calgary to talk about her controlled spoilage studies to determine micro-tolerance limits. In today's beer landscape, there are no universal standards of microbial tolerance values. Talk about that. Sure. Um, So one thing I noticed uh, when I started working for the brewing industry, um, I come from a background where I worked as a medical laboratory technician, and you have standards for everything. Um, And coming into the brewing laboratory, uh, I found it difficult that for microbiology specifically, we had no um, limit where if we would find a positive, we knew, uh, okay, you need to dump that beer, or um, you're safe, uh, you don't really need to worry about it. Um, Every brewery is different, so... The microbes that we have in our lab are very different than what you might run into at a different brewery. So that was um, difficult because I might reach out to somebody and they might not know what I was talking about. Um, And then the other thing, too, is uh, every brewery's beer is different. So we have beers that are 5% alcohol and then we have beers that are, you know, 7% and uh, microbes act differently in those environments. So it's really difficult to have one set of values that will let you know if your beer is okay or not. 
So your approach is to say, hey, forget about standards, figure out what level of contamination is going to actually spoil your beer, right? Yes, correct. Um, I feel that it's important for us to just know, and for every brewery for that matter, to know uh, if... uh, how their beers behave and how the microbes that they're finding in their brewing environment are interacting with their beer. Okay. Uh, that sounds great, but how the heck do you inoculate um, finished product and still simulate the normal package? Aren't you going to end up with, aren't you going to end up adding oxygen or changing the environment in some other way if you open the package temporarily? Yeah, definitely. So um, one thing that I was trying to figure out uh, is when everything that I ran into when I was looking into researching how to inoculate our beer was that you either have to transfer from the package into a separate container, which is introducing oxygen. Even if you're purging with CO2, there's a chance that you might be um, adding some environmental organisms in there that could be contaminating your inoculation. Um, So I was trying to figure out a way that you could also just keep everything in package and introduce the organism. Uh, So I... we. We actually used to, well, we inject with, um, uh, we inject oxygen into cans for standards, uh, for TPO standards, for uh, dissolved oxygen. And I thought, well, okay, so if we're doing it with oxygen, why can't we do it with microcultures? And you thought that you might be able to adapt an air injection method that Hawk uses for mm-hmm. testing their orbispheres, right? Yes, Talk correct. Talk about that. Yeah, so... Uh, we have used it before. We had a couple uh, uh, materials on hand um, for where Hawk has a standard that you or a method of standard. So you have oxygen that you introduce into package for validating your uh, TPO uh, standard. So um, with that situation, you're just int- you're injecting air into the in the can environment and um, testing your TPO and then making sure. Calculating and knowing that your um, your TPO is giving you correct numbers, um, so I knew that you could inject the beer with uh, with a, a hypodermic needle. Right. So I figured, okay, well instead of injecting air, let's inject organism um, and see if that works. <laughs> All right, talk about uh, the seal that's uh, that you came up with uh, for the can. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, one thing with the Hawk method uh, is there is no permanent seal on that. Uh, it's uh, it's immediate analysis. You're uh, checking it right away. So, so you just leave the needle in there, basically? Uh, you, you take the needle out, but uh, you put a, a worm clamp on it, and it it's a, you test it right away so it's not sitting for months and months and months um, and the issue with the microorganisms is you're wanting that to sit for the can or the package shelf life so I had to figure out a way that I wasn't just putting a bunch of worm clamps on um, and that I was trying to eliminate any potential leak of oxygen into package so I ended up kind of MacGyvering a method of uh, gluing a, a little bump on that you actually put on the bottom of furniture that you use for the same Hawk method, um, gluing it on, and then also covering that up with some uh, plumbing adhesive. It was very thrown together, but it worked. And so uh, it, I figured, okay, I'm going to try it out and see what happens. 
Nice, nice. How many tries did it take you to get that one right? Oh, quite a few. <laughs> um, the first time I tried it, I thought that potentially I didn't even need to reseal it. And it was very messy. Uh, beer everywhere. The can's under pressure. So beer wanted to come out. Um, nothing wanted to stay in. Uh, I kind of had some issues with some overfilled cans. So that didn't keep seal. So you had to make sure that the uh, that the package levels were correct. It was a lot of trial and error to make sure that uh, everything would work properly together. Talk about um, the work that you had to do before you just started inoculating packages. Sure. Um, one thing I, I needed to consider before uh, doing the trial at all was uh, the organisms that I was dealing with. Um, the two in particular that I focused on were uh, Lactobacillus and then Pectinatus. Um, uh, specifically Lactobacillus brevis, uh, just because it's such a big uh, big organism for most breweries. And then uh, Pectinatus was, uh, it's actually uh, one that we found in our own brewery um, and that we've run into before uh, issues before. So I figured that would be a good one to worry about too, just yeah. so that uh, that was actually what had sparked this in the first place was that particular organism. Um, so I wanted to understand those organisms, organisms better before um, even doing this study. So I did some growth curve analysis. So I was uh, checking to make sure that I knew how they were growing uh, even before going into package. So um, putting them in some nutrient broth and making uh, graphing them, uh, their growth curves uh, by UV vis um, uh, with tur turbidity and uh, just seeing how they grow over time just because uh, lactobacillus, lactobacillus grows at a completely different rate than pectinatus does. Pectinatus takes way, way longer, um, closer to a week as lactobacillus is more uh, like a day or two that it can propagate up. Um, so I needed to make sure that I knew how to grow these organisms in a viable way before I introduced them into package. Um, I also had to make sure that they were the organisms <laughs> that they were. So I had to sequence them. Um, there were plenty of, uh, so I worked with the U of M, University of Minnesota, um, in their genomics lab, and they helped me sequence the organisms so that I knew what I was working with was actually the organism that I was working with. Um, uh, what else did I do? Uh, I did some dilutions as well to make sure that, uh, and cell counts, so that I knew uh, pretty much approximately what I was putting into package as far as a viable organism uh, and plate counts. So I was using cell counts and uh, plate counts and comparing to kind of get a viability, estimated viability. Um, there's other ways you can do viability with PCR, but we don't really have that available to us, so this was kind of a basic level viability. Okay. Uh, how did you decide which organisms to use in this project and how much of them to inject? Um, I, uh, the pectinatus was kind of an easy decision just because we've run into issues with it. Yeah. Um, it's something that you don't really encounter unless you've started really getting your DOs under control. Um, so, and that was where we started getting the issue. It's a strictly anaerobic organism, um, and we started getting really, really good TPOs. So uh, that ended up showing up. And it's not an organism that likes living in high alcohol beers, um, and it was only showing up in some of our lower alcohol beers, so, uh, but I wanted to see how it was affected over the course of all of our beers, um, so that was just kind of an easy one to decide to do, but um, I didn't want it to just be that because it's super finicky, and I thought that it might not grow at all and I was going to have issues, so I thought another one to work with that's a little bit easier would be Lactobacillus brevis, and it's kind of a universally accepted spoiler, so um, I wanted 
kind of two different options there. Okay. And how did you decide how much of them to, to inject? Oh, um, I, I kind of wanted to go over a whole range of options. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to inject them with something that I knew would be a spoilage level, so something super, super high um, that to give it a better, uh, a better chance of growing. So I wanted to inject it with like something that was kind of overkill to just see if it would grow at all. And then kind of uh, did dilutions underneath that to see at what level it might affect the beer or might not grow at all. Um, so it was, it kind of, I started off with uh, a whole range and then after my first study, um, I did a second study with acetotolerance, lactobacillus acetotolerance. Uh, but the first study I did, I kind of got some data on what was overkill, what was a kind of a range that organism may or may not be an issue that would be better to focus on. Honestly, any brewery could kind of implement this into their quality program. They could easily just um, take some organism, kind of get an approximate cell count, inject their beer, let it sit, and, um, you know, once it reaches their shelf life, open up and test it, or even just do sensory on it. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Support for this podcast is brought to you by ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, tri-clamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. Additional support provided by Samba Hops is first in the new exclusive BSG Hop Solutions portfolio. Named for the overwhelming tropical dance explosion of its aroma, Samba's profile is dominated by juicy tropical fruit like pineapple and mango, plus tangerine and stone fruit. Samba is ideal for late and dry hopping juicy hazy IPAs or beers that need a big tropical fruit profile. Learn more about BSG Hop Solutions online and look for more BSG Hop Solutions releases coming soon. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Rocky Mountain meets February 6th at New Belgium in Fort Collins. Don't miss the Brewing with Fike webinar February 7th. District Philly meets February 7th in King of Prussia. District St. Paul Minneapolis meets at Surly Brewing February 20th. District St. Louis meets February 20th. District Carolinas meets at River Rat Brewery in Columbia, South Carolina February 22nd. District Northern California holds its technical conference February 27th and 28th in Sonoma County. One of our newest districts, District Great Plains, meets February 28th and 29th in Kansas City. The District Mid-Atlantic Spring Meeting is March 14th at Dogfish Head. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Back to the show. 
let's hear about some of the results. Yeah, so um, I was actually very surprised that it worked out the way it did. Um, the first uh, study that I did, uh, I, I used a standard um, industry lager, commercial lager, that was a 5% alcohol beer. I used one of our beers that was uh, also 5%, but it was a little higher in IBU. And then I also used a third beer of ours that was an IPA that had high alcohol or higher alcohol and also high IBUs um, to test. So I was kind of going across the whole spectrum of beers that it might be in. Um, and I found that with uh, what you would expect with the high alcohol beer um, and high, high IBU beer, it wasn't really affected by any of the organisms. Um, although there were some situations where uh, I did use different, uh, I did cold stored, warm stored, and uh, um, I actually incubated a couple of cans at like 30 degrees Celsius, um, but there were a, a couple situations in the cold stored situation where it didn't spoil the beer, but it did uh, survive in the beer. So that was really interesting. Um, but overall, I had a good idea that there were certain situations with our our um, our low alcohol but uh, higher IBU beer where. Uh, there was a limit that we had that it would spoil and then underneath that it wasn't an issue. So if we did find a positive in that situation, we didn't really need to worry about it. It wasn't up until a certain level that we needed to do some, you know, recalling kind of situation. Okay. So in the end, you were successful in calculating some limits for these organisms. Yes, yes, um, which was awesome. And I think it's a, it was a really good... Um, use of my time to know where our brewery stands as far as what we need to worry about. Um, in any situation, you don't want to have any sort of spoilage organism present, but at a certain point when you're um, pushing out a lot of beer and you might encounter something like that, uh, it can be a big deal to potentially dump beer. So it's expensive um, knowing whether or not you find something present and if it's going to affect your beer has been super important with... Uh, with us as a quality program deciding how we're going to react to that. Do you want to put some numbers on some of those limits that you found? Sure. Um, if I can read it. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> okay, so um, for Lactobacillus brevis, uh, none of the beers uh, really were super affected by it. Um, so there were some pretty high tolerance uh, levels that we didn't need to worry about. Um, like as up to... Uh, so I, I checked two different things I was looking at. Uh, we run PCR, so um, there are certain values on PCR CP values um, that we were worried about if we would see it in on that that I was looking at. So I was looking at that, and then also on plates if we would see a positive um, as far as like cells per milliliter, and that that's more digestible as far as uh, what we're looking at. So. Um, for lactobrevis, we were getting around for our our personal beers. Um, if it was really really high, so uh, if <laughs> anything uh, below like five hundred thousand cells per milliliter, you'd be fine. There, it wasn't going to grow. It was going to kill the lactobacillus brevis, um, and which is crazy. You would never get that on a plate. You wouldn't even be able to read that. But um, so pretty much anything. Uh, around under that like you'd be okay um so 
again, realizing that we won't really need to worry about that in our beer. Um, as far as pectinatus, though, uh, one of our beers, it was a way lower tolerance level, um, and it was actually around under, just around one cell per milliliter. Wow. Um, it would be affecting the beer. So uh, if, if we got any sort of positive, it was like, okay, you really need to worry about this. Yeah. Um, as far as our higher alcohol content beer, though, it was around 12,000 uh, cells per milliliter that we would start to worry about it, which, again, is something that you're probably not going to encounter. Okay. Um, talk about how this approach of yours could kind of scale with a given brewery's quality program. Sure. Um, one thing that uh, with... With our program, we're lucky enough that we have uh, PCR, um, but honestly, any brewery could kind of implement this into their quality program, uh, just because you could really just simply use plating techniques and um, injecting their, uh, breweries could inject their beer and uh, use the plating technique as far as cells per milliliter um, and relate results back that way. Um, So they don't need to use PCR or CP values or anything crazy like that. They can just... um, do something really, really simple. They don't need to do anything on a huge scale. They could easily just um, take some organism, kind of get an approximate cell count, inject their beer, let it sit, and um, you know, once it reaches their shelf life, open up and test it, or even just do sensory on it, right, yeah. um, which is super easy, super simple. Um, obviously, what I did was way more involved, and I, I was checking cans weekly and um, running PCR, doing plating results, all that kind of crazy stuff. Um, But it can be scaled to as easy as you want it to be or as complicated as you want it to be as far as what you want to know about your beer. That's great. And then uh, you became worried about the integrity of the seal after all this. Talk about that. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, with the first study I did, uh, I kind of mentioned that I was holding cans at different uh, temperatures, and I noticed with uh, incubating them at 30 degrees Celsius, like in a normal incubator, uh, the seals were failing. So I figured, okay, at some point, there is some point where this is going to fail. I need to kind of test that and see if uh, any oxygen is getting into package, um, what temperatures can this be run at. Um, It was kind of just like a hobby project, but once I started getting better results, I realized, okay, well, I should look into this more and see if this is something that is actually viable for other people to use. And if it is, am I creating an environment that um, I'm getting good data from? Um, So I kind of needed to dive into that more. And so I I did a, a... TPO study as well to look into how oxygen was potentially um, being introduced into the package after injection. Um, so I, I did a similar experiment, except instead of injecting organism, I just injected a, a, a phosphate buffered saline, um, which is what I put the organism in in the first place, but I didn't introduce organism. I just introduced that instead. Um, and then instead of testing plate counts and everything like I did with the organisms, I was testing TPOs instead. Um, So I was uh, looking at that over the course of the shelf life of the package instead um, and measuring that to see if that was changing at all. um, And if it was, is it going up by a lot or is it just kind of creeping in? Um, How is that compared to a normal cannon that we have um, sitting on the shelf? Um, And I got some pretty good data. Uh, Any interesting takeaways there? Yeah. um, Actually, it really hasn't affected uh, oxygen at all. So it looks like the seal held really well. Um, So I'm kind of looking into that more. 
I've, I've been looking into that more as a, like an actual actual option um, because I got really good data showing that it, the seal was holding. Yeah. Um, I've, I've considered uh, looking into other uh, options for the seal. I've, I've been thinking about trying to reach out to people. Well, I have reached out to um, certain universities, uh, like their material science programs, uh, as far as uh, trying to find something that's like a self-sealing polymer that I could use instead of a, a, a furniture bump-on thing. So, um, so far I haven't really figured out a solution for that, and that's a whole other project. But um, I'm trying to make it as easy as possible that other people could potentially use it. And the way I have now is kind of finicky. Um, it's kind of messy. So I'm trying to find a better option for that. Okay, sounds good. What about synergies of multiple uh, multiple spoilers? Would you expect to see different results if multiple organisms were in the same package? Yeah, definitely. So um, one thing I kind of considered um, that I didn't look into that I want to look into is um, for certain organisms, such as Pectinatus, uh, they get... Uh, they prefer to live with other organisms. So there are certain me metabolic byproducts that Lactobacillus provides that um, that the Pectinatus likes to feed off of, or that environment, uh, they like it better. Um, so that's something that when I, when I finished this project, um, I thought, okay, well, if I, it, it's okay that this one thing is in the package, but usually what happens is it's multiple organisms that are getting introduced if you do have a spoilage issue. So um, figuring out how to implement that in, an, in another study um, where I look at uh, different combinations, different species, and how they interact with one another in package um, would also give great information as to figuring out how spoilage would occur in your product. That was Kim Searing live from the 2019 Master Brewers Conference in Calgary. All Master Brewers members can now get their very own free copy of Kim's presentation along with all the other outstanding posters and presentations from Calgary. Download your copy of the conference proceedings at mbaa.com or check the show notes for a direct link. Master Brewers members don't just get free access to the annual conference proceedings. We also get access to the hundreds of presentations that take place at all of the individual district meetings. But there's only one way to be sure that invaluable searchable archive reaches its full potential. I know you want to see that happen as much as I do, so let's talk about how you can help. Ask your district officers if you can help them get the presentations uploaded. It's super easy. There's even a short how-to video link at the top of the archive. And if there's a presentation that you think we should highlight here on the show, shoot me a quick message. All the links you need are in the show notes. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, ABS, Proximity Malt, and BSG. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Okay.